Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're back. The FTCA podcast is back. And Dr. Chris House, and you're going to be our first guest. But let me start this all out by saying we're going to have a new platform, a new uh, procedure with the FTCA podcast. We're going to do video and we're going to publish to our uh, usual podcast outlets like iTunes and, and all that. Uh, before we get started, we've also changed a little bit in the FTCA and how we deal with things. We have partners and we have sponsors. And uh, I want to run down a list. This isn't going to be a big long ad for every one of our sponsors, but I do want to give a shout out to all of our sponsors. Uh, first, our partner, our primary partner is uh, World Spine Care. We believe in their, their uh, what would you call it? I guess you would call it their philosophy, their approach, what they're trying to do with the world, what they're trying to do with the global burden of uh, spine pain throughout the world. Uh, so we deeply support World Spine Care and their cause. Uh, so uh, they are our main partner. Now for our sponsors, uh, we'll get to present sponsor as we go, but our sponsors are Hyperice, China Gel, Jane App, T-Tool, The Smart Chiropractor, ChiroUp, Gestalt Education, and last but not least, Drop Release with the inventor, the founder, and the man behind the machine that is called the Drop Release. Our guest right now is Dr. Chris Housen. Hello, sir. This is the Scrubby, Scrubby Brothers Fireside Fall Chat. That's right. That's right. How's it going with you up in the Dakotas? It's going I good. I hope yeah, this fire is nice and toasty and warm for you. Exactly. Yeah, it's actually not too bad yet. We, uh, we had some snowflakes last night, but that was about it. So snowflakes. <laughs> Don't start. Don't start. Not the kind you have in Portland. <laughs> yes, not the kind we have here in Oregon. No. Uh, uh, I was thinking before we got started, I said, you know, one interesting thing, uh, it's been ruminating my mind quite a bit, especially during this COVID thing. And this is the first podcast I've done since COVID. Um, usually you would think it's the opposite, right? We're all stuck in our houses and stuck to our computers. You think you would ramp up the podcasting and do all kinds of digital stuff. But I really figured I would go the opposite direction, just kind of turn it all off and retune myself and kind of reposition what I wanted to do. Uh, as far as the FTCA and podcasting and all that in general. Um, and I was in one of the thought processes that came across my mind, uh, especially when we do chiropractic success Academy and we do all these things where we try to help chiropractors uh, just whatever you want to call it, win, be better at their practices, be better at business or whatever is, you know, this uh, trying to wrap my mind around service-based industry and creating things, objects, you know, during this COVID experience, I've gained a lot of respect for people that make things like sculptures and knives and they fix cars and they build houses and they do these things that uh, uh, recently over by my house, there's a new bike bridge. Like somebody thought of that and put together all the materials to make a bridge and those things last a long time. They have this... Uh, this permanence about them or semi-permanence. And so I gained a lot of respect for 
people who build things. And it also made me think about you and the fact that, yeah, you practice as a chiropractor providing service. And you know what? One day your hands will retire from the business of uh, serving people, uh, getting them out of pain. But this thing that you've invented, this tool can go on forever because you've built it. It's made out of steel and metal and brawn and all these other things. And so I really respect that. And I wanted to know what, what made you, what made you want to build something and then make a business out of it? So first things first, what made you want to build something? I mean, we want to build something. I've always kind of been, uh, I've been like that. I was uh, the kid who took the toys apart and put them back together. And, you know, mom can't find the knife, her knives or her hot glue guns because they're in the basement where I've been building stuff. Um, but uh, it just, it came down to um, uh, filling a need. Um, I was uh, exposed in my education to using uh, the concept of fast stretch to release muscle spasm tension um, using just my hands and a drop piece, like a drop piece table. Um, and occasionally we'd use a T-bar and the drop piece and it was very uncomfortable underneath you, a lot of force. And I was working on a, a patient one day and I said, man, if I, and I actually had a T-bar in hand, I was like, if I had a T-bar that had a drop piece built into it, that would be ideal. Uh, so I sat and searched all over for that. Uh, I used, tried, tried to use my activator, didn't quite have the oomph for what I was doing. Um, and so then I just basically took apart a bunch of drop piece devices and figured <laughs> out how I wanted to do it. And uh, I ordered some stuff and I got a wood shop and that's, that's what I was doing in the, over the pandemic is in my wood shop a lot. Uh, and, and so I just uh, put something together. The first ones were made of oak and yeah, they worked just like this one does only, you know, I made them by hand myself. So, I wanted to ask you this. How many people, when they first, how many comments do you hear when people first see a drop release tool? They think it's an adjusting instrument. They think it's like a, one of the spring loaded adjustment, adjusting instruments on the market. Almost everybody, I think, because, you know, that's what we know. That's what, what we've seen. I mean, soft tissue device, we always think uh, uh, like a scraping type of a tool, you know, um, yeah. type, which is, you know, anytime I tell people, some of my friends, you know, like, hey, I got a soft tissue tool I developed. Oh, was it another one of those scraper things? <laughs> not, um, yeah, it's it's different. And like you've you've pointed out before too, you know, the biggest obstacle to to this being successful is is me educating people on what it is and how it how it actually works, and you know, just kind of getting out there. Well, that's the next part. So the first part of that question, it's a two part question, was what motivated you to build a thing. Right. The next part is what then made you give you, what gave you the crazy ass idea to then make a business out of the thing you built? <laughs> I, I, I you could have just to. built a thing for your own office and, you know, whatever. Well, I, but, I mean, it, it worked so well, you know, it was one of those things where, Hey, this works really well and, you know, build it and uh, get it out there. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a pretty unique situation here where, uh, you know, we don't have pro sports in North Dakota because there's not even a million people here, but uh, I live in uh, probably arguably the hockey capital of the world. You know, I practice in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I was lucky enough to have a relationship with the university, uh, University of North Dakota, 
hockey team. And uh, in fact, I'm doing a, a training with uh, their staff here in, a, in a, either this week or next week, because uh, they've had that drop release since the initial oak handle ones. Yeah. Um, and so we're just going to work, work with those guys. But the nice thing about that was being able to, you know, have all these hip flexors, basically uh, hips that were in, in such need of soft tissue work. So it was, it was just, you know, when it did work that well, it was very apparent that, all right, we need to get this out there. And, you know, I, right. I, I didn't want to run a business, but here, here we are. <laughs> well, um, that's the main, the main thing to get across people is that, um, you know, chiropractors are going to look at any tool and think spine, mm-hmm. except yeah, for the ones that already make sense to them for scraping muscles. But, you know, I don't think it's really crossed a lot of their minds, the, the neurogenic applications of impulse into muscles. You know, we always think of impulse into spinal joints or extremity joints. Um, but what's the difference? What's the difference when you add an impulse into a muscle? What, what do people not know or they don't, or they don't prioritize as high as uh, HVLA adjustments to the spine? I think that just goes back to two people's, um, people's tendencies toward, again, what, what we know, right? Um, we were, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin this for everybody out there. But I, when I was, came out of school, uh, all my buddies were AK doctors and I did a lot of that kind of stuff. So I learned uh, all the way through was muscle testing and muscle testing. And, you know, you know, the, I, very quickly dropped the stuff that didn't make any sense to me uh, from a neurological standpoint, but knowing how to isolate uh, movements and muscle groups and in areas uh, and the specific soft tissue work part of it, that, that really stuck with me. So I guess that's where I kind of came to the whole game uh, with a little bit more, uh, I don't know if say open-minded, it would be the way to say it, but uh, not only looking at the spine, but looking at at the muscles too. And, uh, and as I've gotten to have the opportunity to work with uh, those, these hockey players up here and, uh, you know, just, just the way my mind works too, is you start, uh, you know, I remember Dr. Wallace and uh, talking about in, in embryology class, you know, how the, the limb buds come out and these ones turn this way and these ones turn this way and all, all the, the connections between the hips and the, and the shoulders and then the, the effect that those in turn have on the spine. Um, and just the whole kinetic chain model and how one area affects another, you know, interconnectedness, stuff like that. You know, I think that that's where that came from really. Um, and I know, you know, it's easy to forget that uh, we don't all have that, that uh, mindset, I guess, coming forward, but uh, thanks to you and, um, and your team, there are a lot of, a lot of us who do have that mindset. Now we can kind of find each other too. Yeah, well, when we first started the FTCA, it, it definitely started on a um, uh, a more skeptical approach, I guess you could say, or a more, I'd say the more the early people in the FTCA were like, everything is bullshit. <laughs> uh, and it's like, okay, okay, well, if everything is bullshit, what's not? We and are we, nihilists. We believe in nothing. Yeah, we, yeah, we believe in nothing. We are nihilists. And it's like the, the more layers you peel back, you're like, okay, so what is not bullshit? And once you peeled back all the layers of that onion, you realize that kind of like everything is bullshit on some levels and everything is not right. bullshit on some levels, depending on how you want to apply it and how reasonable you want to apply the education and the knowledge that you have. And depending on the 
population you're working with. Like in, in a situation with hockey players, this makes complete sense. And if any, anyone doesn't understand what a drop release is, it's a handheld, uh, is it spring? It's not spring loaded. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a handheld drop table. Basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And what it, what it does is it helps you get into these really hard to reach joint spaces, primarily like hip flexors around the shoulder socket. Uh, I think fantastic around the ball and socket joints, but uh, you can tell me how it does around the hinge joints as well. I, I, I live in the ball and socket joints with yeah. it. That's and so you're thinking that's a hockey player's world too. Yep. Internal, external rotation of the hips. They're constantly in, in hip flexion. You got to think uh, track and field sprinters. This has got to be an amazing tool. Anyone who really lives in that hunched up position. Um, the cool thing about it too, that I've just, it's really been in my mind lately and I need to find the right people to do this. And, you know, I, I'm, I treat the director of the kinesiology program up here. I mean, I should be able to make it happen, but you look at the, the research with static stretching and sprinters or uh, maximal output athletes and how, it's, you know, static stretching being detrimental, you know, I can just see where, you know, I know myself, um, you know, did pretty heavy duty CrossFit for quite a while, even though it doesn't necessarily appear that way. Um, but if I hit my, my own lats and subscaps and pec minors, the drop release before I jumped on the, the pull-up bar, it was a, a thousand times better, you know, it's already loose. Um, so that just my mind goes to, okay, you know, yeah, you can increase uh, blood flow and get the muscle warmed up with like with like a uh, hypervolt, but if you can get in there with a with a drop release and boom, make them make the muscles loose, without having to stretch those capsules uh, and things like that, like looking at pitchers and throwers and sprinters or weight, you know power lifters. I think that, that that's going to have to be run down at some point, but I don't have a giant research department. Oh, you mean creating some sort of study, like a uh, similar to the Gray Cook um, vertical leap type study, where they have people run through one type of preparation activity right. versus another preparation activity, and then have them do a vertical leap test or a long jump test or some, some sort of fast muscle twitch fiber right. testing situation. That'd be interesting. That'd be interesting Absolutely. to do. Uh, early on, I actually had a, kind of a little mini study that I had a, a couple of pro level hockey guys that were uh, training in the off season uh, around here. And we, uh, one of our trainers, uh, who's actually married to one of the Lamro twins, the Olympic uh, women's hockey players, um, did a, a FMS on the wall. And then I just hit, went and released all the, the, the usual suspects are the things that are limiting them. And then he, we did another one and, you know, we had, I have that data somewhere, but there was only like four people and it, it was, it was pretty low. That's a small sample size. <laughs> Absolutely. It was just, it was, it was almost in proof of concept stage, right? Like, okay. Does, right. Right. You got to start somewhere, man, you know? Right? And we did another one with that, like that with, uh, at the, at my CrossFit gym, um, one of the PTs I worked with, we did the same thing, but it, you know, that kind of stuff. And then the results are always good. Right. Yeah. Always. <laughs> hey, Bobby, when I do the study, the results are good, right? Right. And when the results are bad, it was just a mistake. <laughs> but it wasn't my fault. It was just out there. Something happened. Some uh there was some stock trader guy who said that he's like, uh, whenever I was wrong, I was just joking. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> you weren't supposed to take me serious. Your problem for believing it. Yeah, I gave you the disclaimer. Um, this is—it's it, almost. And speaking of stocks or trading, this is this is kind of what we have to do. There, there needs to be some sort of innovation that goes on, and that innovation—it's uncomfortable to the evidence-informed chiropractor because it's outside of evidence, right? Like you have to create a product that has zero evidence because there isn't going to be a product created that has evidence. Um, and then you have to, pr- the, the product itself has to prove a concept that is somehow steeped in some sort of evidence. So right. if you just made up a magic wand mm-hmm. that sort of like tap people on the forehead and it was supposed to eliminate headaches, of course, you're going to get an, an immense amount of uh, uh, skepticism around that. People are actually going to laugh at you and make fun of you. But if, if there's at least some sort of base, like, look, I, we understand this physiological concept. This is a way I think we can tap into that physiological concept with some sort of tool or mechanism or technique, then this is the way to go about it. Now, you're not going to invent a technique, are you? No. Because no. Thank you. Because this podcast would end right at this point. I think we have enough techniques. You can't, you can't... So that, and that's honestly, I get, I get asked by a lot of people, even people who who will buy these, is there a technique? Is there a, and I, I'm such an anti, I'm a learn everything and use what fits kind of guy that I, I'm like, you know, you guys are all. Chiropractors aren't like that, man. They're not like that. We're very intelligent people. You've been through tons of schooling. You know, the body, this is how it works. This is how you use it. Now go do it. You know what I mean? I disagree with you and I'm not going to knock chiropractors in general. Uh, but once again, I'm, you know, I've, I've been observing at least 10,000 chiropractors on the whole over seven or eight years now and how they behave, the questions they ask, the, the motivations, you know, what buttons they push and why they push those buttons, why they choose to go to certain continuing education or not. And I think there is a percentage of people we would, I would love if that was like our people was that percentage of people that were the self-motivated, self-educated, intellectually curious, really love to dig into concepts and ideas and, and work them out. And then use to, I don't think, I think a huge amount of, of chiropractors are just like, um, tell me what to do and tell me how to bill for it so I can get paid. Like, not that they don't give it, not that they don't give a crap. I look at, look at how now there's that, um, there's that pejorative towards chiropractors, right? Like you're not a real doctor or you went to chiropractic school to, to be called a doctor, but you didn't want to go to medical school because it would have been harder and longer. And I don't, I don't believe that for the majority of people, but I know for sure there are definitely people that chose to be chiropractors because it was the easiest way to get to that doctor title. And we all want to deny that those people don't exist in our profession, but they're, they're a mass of them. (laughs) And that kind of person makes decisions later on in their life like okay so uh, show me the easier way to do this and then show me the easier way to do that and then show me the easiest way to get this done who can i hire to consult for me to get this done and you see this over and over again in our profession what has the consult the consulting business been for 30 or 40 years what has the what has the most recent social media setup been uh you know, the, the people that hit you with the social media ads will get you 50 new patients, you know, just give us your money. 
And when we work with people in the Chiropractic Success Academy, I think we tend to attract the people who are self-motivated and intellectually want to dive into things and figure them out to a degree. They also want help too, which is great. Everyone wants a community. That's why the FTCA exists. But what I've also encountered people are like, I, I don't want to learn how to, to do marketing. I don't want to learn how to do any of this stuff. Just tell me how to get new patients. I need, I need 10 more new patients. Give me those 10 new patients. Like I'm not, I'm not a, a crack dealer. Like you gotta, <laughs> I can't just bring you biscuits. You know, you got to figure this stuff out on your own. And I'm definitely a, a teach a man to fish instead of just giving them fish kind of person. But I don't, I don't think, I think if we assume in a profession that's small, but still 200,000 people or so, I, if we assume they all behave the same way and that they're all like really intellectual uh, or even honest or intellectually honest, we're going to get in trouble, especially on a business end of things when we're trying to help people out. So that's a little pushback from me. Uh, I think on a, on a, what would you call it on a percentage basis, we tend to in our evidence informed community have people that are a little more like you would like to figure that would like to dig in and, and they do, I'm sure you get questions all the time. Like, how does a drop release work from a neurological basis? And they, they actually want you to explain that to them. Right. Right. And other people, we don't get, we don't tend to get the kind of chiros that are like, well, how many new patients is this device going to like, if I buy one of these for so many dollars, when do I get my money back as far as how many new patients do I have to see? Have you ever had to run an ad like that? No, but you know what? I, Start, I, I, I start our nutrition program now and all you need is five new patients for it to pay for itself if you can if you can treat one extra patient a week you're going to pay for the thing in in you right. know but. you got a solid investment how's your cider by the way during our fireside chat is that a good a good hot apple cider you're drinking there well it's got some heat to it but it's not apple cider. <laughs> uh for the this i i I apologize to people that are going to catch this on audio anyways, audio only, but we've set up a nice fall fireside chat. We've got some pumpkins above the fireplace on the mantle and a, a fall wreath and some nice leaves around us. Yeah, you should uh, really this, have one of your couple of your dogs there and you have your shotgun on the mantle. This is exactly what my backyard looks like. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's raining. Um, I derailed you because you were saying positive things about people. Oh, and <laughs> I will say positive things about people and negative things about people. I'm not afraid to do that. I was saying that, you know, that and honestly, that's probably where some, some of the issues with volume here come in is that I'm approaching this like, you don't need me to tell you that. You're a doctor. You know where the muscles are, you know, and, and I probably just need to be a little clearer with some of that stuff because it's, it's all there. It's just one of those things, you know, but I'm just saying that, that that's that's the way my mind works is okay i know how to do this 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 and this in this area now i can apply it in a similar fashion to this area now i think a lot of people are getting into ro rotary athletes these days and this is a game changer for the rotary athletes since you have to generate so much power around those uh, ball and socket joints um you know this this is a game changer for people who work with baseball and softball pitchers. Obviously hockey is a good one. Golf. Um, this is a game changer for those people who do treat CrossFit athletes and gymnasts, the ones that have to generate power through those joints. Um, you know, 
if somebody came up to you and they said, well, if we're using this drop release and we, we hit, you know, a muscle with it, what does it do to the muscle? What's going on? I don't understand. What do you say? Uh, well, it's uh, triggering the Golgi tendon organ reflex and it's causing a reflex that makes the muscle relax. It's like basically the opposite of, of the, of the check your reflexes thing, right? Like we right. knee and it kicks this one, we hit it and it makes it relax. Um, and it, you can, well, you've, you've played with it around the shoulder. You can go from uh, restricted flexion of the shoulder to hundred percent range in, in seconds. And it, so, you know, you can show it pretty fast. Um, but then, you know, the next question I get, and well, but back, back that up a little bit too. And, and, and so that was the intention here was to affect that muscle spindle cell, Golgi tendon organ balance. Um, and it was working and I was just trying to prove again, proof of concept time. Uh, I'm going to play with this a little bit. And I, I had a new patient come in, uh, um, MS patient. She was in a wheelchair and she had the whole, uh, whole, the whole claw configuration of her upper limb. Um, and I thought to myself, all right, so if this is doing what I think it's doing, and which is a spinal cord level reflex, this should be able to, uh, get underneath that uh, descending inhibition that is not there and affect it. Um, so that was my, my, my thinking. And so she was fine with it. We tried it. I hit her forearm a couple of times. I got into her bicep, her wrist. I couldn't get into the intrinsics of the hand because it was, they were too small, but within minutes she could fully uh, see where you can see me here. She could straighten her whole arm out and her wrist back, and she had all of that full motion back. And, and of course, it didn't stay. Uh, and I don't know how long it stayed, but um, you know. But I thought, okay, this is what we're doing. And right. on the other side of that, if I were, say, a Carrick guy, uh, you know, a, a big neuro person, or if I were a physical therapist who worked with brain injuries, things like that, that just opened up a big time therapeutic window. Window, just, yep. Window of opportunity, yeah. Working those opposite uh, pathways, and uh, you know, maybe rerouting some of that wiring, so to speak. Um, but yeah, so it, I know that the concept is there, and the neuroscience is there. It's just a matter of, you know. Well, get... this is this is the thing where people need to get it in their hands and do it and use it. I mean, this is. So honestly, talk... go ahead. I was gonna say on, honestly, and and you know, I've been really bu uh, buckling down on my social media stuff here lately. And I don't know what, what's gone out what day or what, but uh, one of them says, uh, I think it was today actually was a clip from the office of Dwight. And it just said, fact, if you treat athletes, you should 100% use drop. I think, so. I think if, so. If um, honestly, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to treat athletes without it anymore just because, I mean, I could, obviously I did for a decade, but you know, it's just so much faster and opens things up so much faster. I think anybody who treats uh, CrossFit athletes or, or wants to, uh, anybody who is in those, uh, you know, upper echelons of people who are uh, willing to go through a little bit of discomfort to get where they need to be, like people right. who are distance runners, people like that who live are able to live on that edge of, you know, I'm just going to push through it. Um, you know, those are the people I, th I think that, I don't think anybody would be disappointed, you know, so. And uh, the good news is if you're an FTCA member, you can 
you can get some, uh, I guess you could call it digital training on drop release because you have a whole channel within the hub that's going to have plenty of content on how to use and more of this proof of concept idea. Yeah, I've been putting out um, a little little less than I would like to have, but I got, you know, we got three, four videos out there and I got some things on the website too. And, and all those are going to be kind of cut down into a little more manageable bite-sized pieces for the hub. Um, trying to get a little feedback from people who have it and what would you like to see out there as resources, things like that. Um, and if people have, you know, people have questions about it or would like to see, uh, and I, I, nobody's really, I think, uh, I think uh, Jeff Williams is the only one that's taken me up on, on this. And I said, put out there, Hey, uh, what do you want to see? How, how we treat it with this. And he, you know, he shot back scalings and I, and I posted that video right away. Um, He is one of the ones. So we'll correct the record. He is one of the ones that is intellectually uh, curious. For sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. Even if he's got bad taste in football teams. <laughs> Can't help where a guy's born. <laughs> Excuse me. We'll edit that sneeze out. But uh, that's the bad thing about doing video. You can't avoid it. The good thing we're outside and we're socially distanced. So uh, we can't spread any disease that way. Well, hey, not only am I <laughs> vaccinated, but I then I also had the pleasure of having COVID about a month ago. So, yeah. Fun. I had it when uh, when this all first started. So mm-hmm. I remember we went to Washington D.C. Me and my wife, and we spoke at I spoke at ACA Engage uh, 2020, Engage 2020, and everyone was talking about this COVID thing when we flew out. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a weird trip because that was also when uh, President Trump was being impeached. So there was all this buzz around D.C. about the impeachment, and people were uh, getting tickets to go see the impeachment, and everyone kind of had under this sort of like under their their, their breath they were talking about this chinese uh, virus that was going around or that's what they were calling it at the time right but you can't call it that anymore it was this chinese virus uh that was over in china and what if it came over to america and we got back home and uh my stepdaughter just returned from new york so it was like maybe a, a couple weeks later she returned from a trip from new york and we thought she was dying in her room so just the things the noises that were coming from that room poor sick child the next thing you know, the whole house had it. And I think this is that thing. This is that thing they're talking about. And of course, there was no testing or confirming that at that point. It could have been some sure. sort of crud, but it was it was COVID. <laughs> you were the vector they brought after the Pacific Northwest. My daughter was, yeah. My, my stepdaughter was the vector, absolutely. From New York, where it was really bad. Remember when COVID first started, like New York, and that was, it was like a weird, much more severe strain. Yeah, and she brought it back to Oregon. So um, that was us. We did that. World changer, world changers. <laughs> so in the, in your state in North Dakota, are you guys, the providers mandated to be at vaccinated or are you still, do you have a choice in the matter? You know, I'm not even sure because we, I just did it. Um, so I wasn't uh-huh. paying attention. That's uh, the proper answer, by the way. That's the politically correct answer. Well, I, it's the truth. True answer. <laughs> I, I work, I work for a, a large health system. So, you know, those, yeah. it was, they didn't force us either. Um, but it was uh, one of those things where it was available. So yeah, my wife's got an autoimmune disease, so I want right. to protect protect her as much as I can too. And uh, so we, mother-in-law going through cancer treatments, all of that stuff. So. Yeah. Did you have a breakthrough case or did you get COVID and then get vaccinated? No, I got vaccinated. I had a breakthrough. I, I, uh, I got uh, vaccinated back in like January. Uh, my, my teenage daughter had had COVID in October where we 
all got the mandatory two and a half weeks off of work. Um, none of the rest of us got it. And yeah. we didn't get distance from her. And then, uh, so then I got the vaccinations and then uh, I picked it up here back uh, a couple weeks or a month, probably a month and a half ago now. Um, yeah, just a breakthrough case. And, and then, then the rest of us got it, except my six-year-old. She's she's the toughest one, I guess. So, um, but yeah, we all, no real bad effects. You right. know, this congestion, right. taste and smell, which probably should have stayed away longer. Maybe I would be a, a smaller man than I am right now. <laughs> yeah, today. I'm one serious pandemic virus away from my ideal weight for sure. Ah. <laughs> uh, right. Um, do you, do you think how do how do you think all this has affected practice in general? Do you feel like you've adapted and overcame? Yeah. Is, is know, there a new normal now that you guys will have to function in a larger system in a well, certain I mean, way? I've had a, I've worn a mask all day every day for the last you know since March of 2020, I suppose. So at least I don't need to wear goggles anymore. We have goggles yeah. for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just you know. It's, it's gotten to be normal where you, you know, I have a whole, I know I've got a whole large group of patients that if I saw them out at a mall somewhere, and this happened to me just the other day, a patient who had just been in as a new patient, I saw her at a basketball game, sitting by people I knew, didn't recognize her, <laughs> figured it out the next day, uh, talking to her at, in the clinic, you yeah, we both have our masks on again. I'm like, oh, that was you. You know, so it's, it's, uh, there's this whole group of people that aren't going to, wouldn't even know who, who we were, you know. Do you think in a, in a delivery system of chiropractic, which is really interpersonal and hands-on, do you think it's affected outcomes at all to be masked up, gloved up, face shielded up with that extra layer in between you and the patient? I don't, I don't feel like it has in, in my practice, I guess, but we, we don't have to have masks on. We just have to, you know, do the alcohol uh, hand wash thing on the way gotcha. in and on the way out. Um, yeah. The, otherwise it's been pretty normal. And Yeah. It's going to be interesting for me to ask that with people I interview because the, there's different rules by a different state. I mean, if you're here in Oregon, it's, it's almost a, it's, I mean, obviously it's a clinical experience, but we're talking about like, it's like an ET. Remember when the, when the scientists came in to get ET and there's the bubble tent and it's like a bubble tent experience on many levels here in like Oregon, the, the naked gun. Body condom <laughs> yeah. So, so it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to that uh, depending on what kind of state regulations they have as far as whether they think taking away that layer of person, personal connection makes a difference or not. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're still, we're still hands-on and try to do everything the same. I, you know, I, verbally harass all the little old ladies just the way i always perfect and nobody nobody teases them nobody else right. teases them hey who who doesn't deserve it more than a little old lady you know what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> they've been getting a, they've been getting by a little too easy these days they love to shoot it back and they're the best at it yeah i'm sure those north dakota little old ladies too they're they're forged in in cold iron and steel at that point yeah uh <laughs> I the first time I made I made fun of my uh, wife's ninety year old grandmother, I looked, turned around and everybody's eyes were huge and their jaws were open and she was just laughing at me. <laughs> so I'm going to take you to the woodshed. <laughs> uh, before we go, do you have any questions for me? For you? No, I don't know. I'm 
when are we going to get to do this live thing again? I mean, I know we were in Kansas City this summer, and then I was all excited to come to possibly get to New Orleans, and then that that. Uh, so was- New Orleans, yeah, New Orleans had a double whammy there. First, it was the Delta variant was re- wreaking some havoc, but they weren't. They also just weren't ready from an economic standpoint, which we can all see now. I don't know how it, it looks for you all in North Dakota, but service-based businesses, restaurants, hotels, um, taxis and Ubers, like they're not ready yet to take on people. Right. And the, these hotels in New Orleans, which, you know, people flock there from all over the world, but especially from all over the South and the Midwest, they love New Orleans. They, the hotels were not ready for people. Like we just, you know, how you, you, you can call somebody on any normal year or any normal and they're, they're right there, Johnny on the spot, ready to serve you, ready to answer your call, ready to make reservations for you. Uh, It was hard to even get return phone calls from, from all the facilities. And then the Delta thing was on top of that. And the Delta thing there, they have, were just starting to pass a whole bunch of more regulations about, uh, uh, sort of like a vaccine passport type level things. And you know what New Orleans is. New Orleans is the big giant, like three yard long slushy of, of <laughs> bourbon or whatever it is, the, the hurricane, right? You get like a three foot long plastic bone of, of a hurricane and you eat bad and you just party all night long. And that's, so those were, they were getting smoked basically. They were getting, their economy is getting smoked and they couldn't handle it. They didn't have the people, no one's working. Right. And at the time of this recording, which is two months after that event would have happened, still nobody's working. It's hard to get people to work, especially in service-based businesses and hospitality. Anybody wants it needs a job, come to North Dakota, man. Everybody's hiring. Right. Well, it's not about needing a job. No one wants a job. <laughs> and um, or a lot of people don't want a job. And then after that, then there was a hurricane as well. Right. So we had. I had a premonition and some people would say that uh, my premonitions are uncanny sometimes. And I just had a bad feeling about it all. Uh, we could have gone through with it. We had plenty of people registered. We were ready to go. And I just had a premonition. So it's just better to wait a year. And then the hurricane hit and everyone's like, how do you know this stuff? And uh, my mom would say, my, my precious little Bobby's got this vision. Well, there's, you, you, you got a vision, that's for sure. But, um, so what we're going to do is we'll, we will do that one next year. We understand that there's a demand. There still isn't enough. At, you know, we all are itching to do live events. Uh, it's just not it's not there yet. I'm, uh, I'm going to be down in Dallas here this weekend with. Uh, you can tell me how it goes. I mean, it's a live event. I mean, no one's better at live events than uh, than like Parker and things of that nature. No one's better at live events than those folks. Um, and some people will be ready to do it a lot sooner than others. Uh, but even last night, trick or treating, you could yeah. still see like, this is sentiment from people who are not in our business. You've got to look at the sentiment of the rest of the country and kind of follow that it's macroeconomics. So we're looking at the sentiment of trick or treaters or, or houses that were, you know, lights on or lights off last year, no trick or treating at all. I mean, you might have a couple diehard houses that had the lights on this year. We were back. I mean, the neighborhood had plenty of lights on, but there were people who had like signs on their doors and, and like literally police taped off their yards to prevent people from coming in their yards with these signs up, like no trick or treating coronavirus. Don't you know that there's a deadly virus out there? And I'm like, 
lady, you could have just turned your lights off. Like there's a universal code in trick-or-treating. Right. It's, it's uh, just keep your lights off and no one will, will bother. You don't have to put up police tape and signs, but there are a couple of those out there. So there's a fear that still permeates the environment. And, uh, and that's an unfortunate part of public health sometimes to get people to behave in a, in a public health beneficial manner. You have to scare the crap out of them. And then they will start to behave in ways that are beneficial for public health. Now, the downside of that is that once the fear, once the danger is gone, the fear remains. <laughs> and now we have people that are still scared uh, witless about the disease. And that's okay. That is what it is. It's okay. Um, but we'll eventually get through it. And hopefully, yes, eventually we'll have live events. What we are. Oh, I know we will. I mean, and the Kansas City, that was a good time. That was a, oh, that yeah. Was a yeah. We're, we have actually for, you know, that New Orleans event's not canceled, it's rescheduled for September of next year. But we have some surprises in order for that September New Orleans event. We are not giving up on New Orleans. So hold your chickens. Hold your chickens for a, a New Orleans event, September 2022. All right. Hey, I think this video thing worked out good. Um, I like these fireside <laughs> chats. Kept me kind of toasty. And, it, <laughs> and um, uh, thank you for supporting the FTCA with drop release. Uh, and know that uh, we're ride or die with you. So we yeah, see I, I, you as a as a as a an entity uh, um, that's worth investing in, and we're going to keep the investment in supporting you. And someday it's going to go to the moon. It's going to be like Dogecoin or or GameStop stock. You're going to the moon, man. People are going to start putting these on their our own. We should just invent our own crypto or something um better, i guess i don't know what it is Monopoly. i'm thinking about that now from a blockchain standpoint this this can help you you don't have to know what blockchain is but we talked about this research thing right like yeah. you, you got you've got low access to research dollars and low access to uh test subjects right but what if what if you had a uh, a program on the blockchain where people could use the drop release in their own practices make some some certified measurements yep. in their own practices all across the globe, put that information into a, a computerized system on the blockchain, then you can collect much, much, much more data about what you're doing. And that's the power of uh, crypto and blockchain in the future. Yeah, well, that, that's huge. And, and you know what, we've actually, we've had the discussions like this, but before the whole blockchain thing was the big deal, um, was okay, yeah, okay, we have, we have these people out there doing this. <laughs> now we need to even, yeah, talking about collecting that, but yeah, that would that would value speaks, man. So results are value at this point, and uh, you know if we need to create a drop coin, we'll create drop coin. <laughs> drop coin. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I don't know how that's going to work in the in the crypto market. I don't know how many people are going to buy a drop coin, but right now there's a coin called Bounce, and Bounce coin is uh, quite valuable. So, so you can name them just about anything. Think about this. Think about a. Uh, just a simple token that's called health token. So instead of health insurance, you buy this crypto coin called health and every, or a government can subsidize and, and give each person a certain number of health coin that they put in their pocket. And then they buy healthcare services with that coin. The doctors get paid based on outcomes. So, you know, like they do in Europe, you get someone to quit smoking, you get someone to reduce their body mass index or reduce their uh, insulin dependence or, uh, you know, manage their diabetes. Uh, from a rehab standpoint, you get them, 
you know, exercising again, you know, you get their mile down under a four minute mile, <laughs> whatever, like the doctors can get rewarded in the coin based on the performance, you know, you lower their outcome assessment scores when it comes to pain, chronic pain, things like that. You know, the doctors get rewarded, not just for the service they provide, which is what we do now, right? C for service. You pay me a certain amount of money. I do some crap to you. And then regardless of the outcome, I still get paid. And then you walk away with whatever outcome you got. Not great for patients, but if, if there were positive patient outcomes related to this coin and the doctors got paid based on the coin and the service, and then people could just buy coin and donate it for people in need you know, like people who need health services that don't have the access to them. And, and some of that coin can be staked. Uh, I don't want to get into staking right now. It's a complicated thing to explain, but they could stake it in research. So then when we find research that's valuable, that needs to be invested in, instead of it being pharmaceutically based, motivated or driven investment, the investment can be based on outcomes or goals or things that we want to accomplish uh, on a human basis instead of on a pharmaceutical basis for profit. So that's the kind of thing that a, a, a crypto blockchain coin based uh, world can be. And most people that are older, like you and me, <laughs> I picked you first, but me, uh, I think I'm older than you, actually. Um, we don't understand these things as much. I try to explain this to my sister-in-law and she's like, well, it's all just made up. It's not real money. I'm like, you don't understand the American dollar is not real money. <laughs> it's a, at least... At the least whole the, concept of currency itself is a the crypto a, thing does go back to a true exchange of values and you know what this is where chiropractic or whatever you want to call it or drop release or rehab or whatever the heck anyone is doing this is where value hits the rubber meets the road and if something is valuable it will it will exist and persist if it's not valuable as the currency and the ec economy of the world changes it will disappear so um, be inspired because I believe if that what you're doing is right and you've got a good thing going, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. And when the value is seen, the world will know. Beautiful. You like that? I do. Okay, and I think this is maybe is Bobby does have a vision. Yeah. Well, I, there was one uh, to close this out. There was one uh, really, he's, this guy has invented like who knows how many things he's like a uber billionaire or whatever. He said, an idea is great, but it's worthless. So an idea and $10 million. Now you can do something with the idea, right? You know, an, an idea and, and a billion dollars, you can take over the world. It's like ideas come and go, but um, you know, you have to have an idea and then some fire behind it. Uh, and, and we're trying to give you some fire. I don't have a, I don't have a million, $10 million. So, uh, but I'm giving you all I got. All right. And I got tons of ideas and no one's giving me crap. So <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a great first return to the podcast. Um, I couldn't think of doing it with a better person. Um, you were like my brother from another stronger hockey mother. There you go. <laughs> um, so I'll talk to you soon.